It's time for JT the Brick. How are we doing? Baby, I'm great. JT, how are you doing? What do we want to talk about with the Raiders? So I want to see an interception. I want to see some bats. Third down and five on the 25. Wilson back to pass. Crosby in his face. Grabs Wilson around the shoulders and swings him down at the 34. Crosby with his second sack of the game. And the Raiders defense gets a stop. And then your boy JT got it right. JT the Brick. Always, always great to be with the Brick. I don't spend a lot of time on teams that don't make the playoffs. We talk about what matters in championships and winning here. It's Big Boy Radio. You know, playing fast has always been fun for me, and I enjoy it when it's time, and there's a time and a place for it. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you on a sad show today. Big show, the passing of Franco Harris, the Hall of Famer, the Pittsburgh Steeler legend, and someone I was planning on having on the radio this week. How about that? As Franco Harris, we pray for his family and his friends as he passed away overnight as many people are on their way to the Steelers-Raider game this Saturday night, Christmas Eve, as Franco was going to have his number retired at halftime. And a big celebration, a banquet, a lot was happening with his family and friends and all the great Steeler legends. And Phil Villapiano, who's supposed to join me coming up in the show today, uh, Phil who has a real heavy heart. Phil was great friends with Franco, kind of like best friend category. And Phil uh, reached out to him this morning, and we spoke for about 10 minutes. Phil was traveling from out west here all the way to Pittsburgh to be with Franco tonight. He spoke to him yesterday. Everything was great with Franco. There was no indication that he had any health struggles, and everybody woke up to the news today via his son making the announcement that the great Franco Harris passed away at the age of 72, which is shocking to everybody because Franco was a great, humble human being. And the times that I met him were only a few. He took the time to really concentrate on the conversation and really make me a better guy for just listening to him. And that was all through Phil Villapiano. Phil made that contact to me, and Phil made that contact to a lot of people uh, because we inducted Franco into the Black Hole Hall of Fame. And I hope some people call in today who were here on that day when Franco came to Oakland and came onto the field, but before that uh, spent a good 30, 40 minutes in the Black Hole tailgate in Oakland as he wore a Black Hole hat and uh, got a plaque and was inducted into that Hall of Fame because that's what the Black Hole did. They understood the immense, immense humbleness and greatness of Franco Harris. They understood his connection to Phil Villapiano and Raymond Chester, who will join us here in about 25 minutes. Raymond's really hurting, too. Raymond's lost all his great friends, all of his great friends recently, from Joe Morgan to Clem Daniels to a lot of former Raiders who have passed away. Raymond reached out, and he'll join us to talk about his friendship with Franco, the Immaculate Reception. I was looking to have Franco on through Phil tomorrow or Friday for the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. Hopefully last night you watched what the Raiders did in their new documentary series, which was up on YouTube. It was incredible. I watched it with my wife and kids, and I watched it yesterday before the show, as I told you, and it was really a great documentary. It was a feature on what that game meant, not only to the Raiders and the Steelers, but to the NFL and the impact that it had on so many fans. So I don't mind doing death. There are people on the radio who avoid it. They just won't talk about it. And whenever a legend dies, especially a legend that's connected to us or connected to you, they deserve more than five minutes on sports radio. I think it's really an awful thing if you barely mention the name of Franco Harris today, as some shows have not covered it, others have. And Franco was a big part of our coverage this week 
because of the 50th anniversary and the Raiders playing the Steelers. A couple of people have texted me what, what will be the impact of the game. Uh, none of the players, none of the players playing in the game coming up Saturday were alive during the Immaculate Reception. Okay, no, the players didn't grow up with Franco Harris. They didn't grow up with Raymond Chester. They're playing for their ability to win, their paychecks, and their pride. But wow, I cannot imagine what that stadium, former Heinz Field, is going to look like on Saturday night. I'm really upset and disappointed for Franco's family. There was a banquet on Friday night that Phil was going to. When he comes on, he'll tell you about it. Can you imagine what the Steeler organization is going through? And the fact that that he was going to be the halftime ceremony. What the Steelers fans' loss is going to be in that game, in that frigid cold game, which both teams are 6-8, and and it's an elimination game for both the Raiders and the Steelers. I don't think we should spend a lot of time talking about an advantage or not. An advantage to the Steelers' home field and Franco's passing, what it means to the Raiders. I'm going to mention it tomorrow to Josh McDaniels when he joins us, the impact as he preps for this game, obviously. It's going to make the game much more dramatic. The game was already dramatic as the schedule makers put this game on Saturday night, Christmas Eve, solely for the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. That's how big the play was. That's how important it is in the history of this league. Raiders, Steelers, and that anniversary. They didn't make that up. They didn't get lucky with that date. The NFL schedule makers made that a priority. And it's a really big priority for the Raiders to win the game. So normally by Wednesday of the week of a game, we're in preparation on how to beat the opponent and what the Raiders need to do to win this game. I'd like to do some of that today, but the breaking news of the passing of Franco Harris at the age of 72 kind of moves everything back a little bit. If you want to call in on the game, I think what you Raider fans should be doing today and other NFL fans should be telling a Franco story or how beautiful of a human being he was. And I think the best part of this story with the Raiders is that when you play professional sports, you can make friendships on other teams. You could have friends who are on the enemy sidelines, and you can have that life afterwards. And that's one of the things that I've learned about the Raiders, uh, being with the Raiders this long, is I see so many great players talking to other Hall of Famers and other great players. To see Fred Bolitnikoff at the Hall of Fame and people come up to him from other teams from the rivalry, Bobby Bell, for example, the great Kansas City Chief legend, and Fred and Bobby are like best friends. To see, to see Steve Largent come up to Fred Bolitnikov. To see older players and younger players. And Franco was in the middle of all that. And Franco, I'll never forget when Franco showed up at Ken Stabler's Hall of Fame party late, late, late in the evening. As I was MC of that event, obviously the snake already passed away. But the tradition is at the Hall of Fame as you leave the parties and go to the parties of all the Hall of Famers. And, I mean, goosebumps on my, my forearm when Franco walked in with Mel Blunt and Joe Green, and they came to pay tribute to Ken Stabler because that was the ultimate tribute that they could pay tribute to was the snake. And the snake was not alive, and they came to that party, and they walked in, and it was like royalty walking into the room. Franco was one of the guys who walked in. And then on that day when Franco came to Oakland, I'll never forget, ever forget that tailgate party at the Black Hole and how cool it was. When they even said, I was talking to Black Hole Rob and Raider Mort and everybody who knew Franco was coming, word got out, and there was an overflow crowd. I'm telling you, several hundred people. And then a fun story, uh, my job was to take them down to the field. 
And Phil said to me when we got down to the tunnel as we needed to get in, and you need to get into a game with tickets, and you need passes to get in. And Phil looked at me and said, JT, do you got the passes? I looked at Phil and I said, no, Phil, didn't you request them from the Raiders? And he goes, well, I got mine. And I go, well, what about Franco? He says, no, 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 I thought we could just walk him in. I said, yeah, I think we can. Hold on a second. And I walked up to security and I said, we have Hall of Famer Franco Harris. And luckily they said to me, bring him in without a ticket. And we walked through the bowels of the Oakland Coliseum and brought him out onto the field. At that point, he was talking to Coach Gruden at the time. And Phil, Phil walked with Franco right from the 50-yard line all the way to the black hole pregame. NFL Films had a camera there. And Franco was just coming from the parking lot where he was having a great conversation with hundreds of fans. It was really cool to see. It was one of those behind-the-scenes uh, things that I saw that was kind of mind-blowing. And uh, I'm really praying for Phil Villapiano today because Phil, uh, Phil's great, and he comes on this show often. And he was really struggling when I talked to him today. He couldn't believe it. He talked to Franco yesterday. I mean, he's going back. Mike Ciani and Phil were invited by the Harris family to be a part of this reception and they're going to do a reception in the parking lot. The parking lot of the stadium is where the immaculate reception happened, and there's a plaque. There's a little image in the parking lot. They were going to do something before the game, and then Phil was going to be with Franco throughout the game, and I can't imagine what he is going through now. That's what happens in sports, man. You lose your legends. You lose the people that gave you the inspiration to be a sports fan, and the Raiders have a deep, deep connection with Franco Harris. Because he wasn't one of those enemies that the Raiders hated in life. Later on in life, they loved him because he was just a great guy and he was so cool and he understood that he was the key to the Immaculate Reception. He scored the touchdown. He had fun with it with Frenchie Fuqua, Raymond Chester and Franco. All these guys are good friends and they move on in life. You know, when you're lucky enough to have friends like that and you're icons and you have a gold jacket or not, those friendships stand the test of time and the Raiders have many. Fred Bolitnikoff, all the other ones, the Lake Cliff Branch, Ken Stabler, Mel Blunt, Stallworth, Lynn Swan. And as we pointed out yesterday, the amount of people that played in the Immaculate Reception game, there were 20 Hall of Fame, either owners, coaches, and players in that game. And Franco Harris passes away at the age of only 72 on what, you know, the biggest night of his life. I don't know if it was the Super Bowl. I never interviewed him on it, but I was going to interview him on it tomorrow or Friday. And that doesn't matter. It's not about him coming on the radio. It's about his family grieving. But the interesting part I was going to ask Franco is what was bigger for him? The Immaculate Reception catch, the Super Bowls, the gold jacket, or upcoming this Saturday having his number retired. That's a big one. I, I can't believe his number wasn't retired. You know, the Raiders don't retire numbers, and that was the choice of Al Davis. But the Steelers, I, I can't believe that it take, it's taken 50 years for Franco's number to be retired. That legendary crisp 32 number. You could see it. Close your eyes unless you're driving of Franco Harris running downhill and winning four Super Bowls. I also talked to a former player today that reminded me of the fraternity he's in. And it's rare, four Super Bowls for a running back. He was a rookie during the Immaculate Reception. He was a rookie that year in 1972. And you think of Tom Brady who has seven Super Bowls. And then you go to the other great Super Bowl legends. Go to the running backs who have four. We're talking Joe Montana with four. Tom Brady with seven. You go through the list. Emmett Smith has three. 
You know, Walter Payton has one. You go through the list. Franco's got four. He's in rare air. So rest in peace, rest in paradise to Franco Harris. I'm sure there's many people who should be able to contribute today and call into the show and talk about what Franco Harris meant to you and the game and what he meant to you in the rivalry with the Raiders and how important that rivalry was. He got the best of the Raiders in the rivalry. No debate. Franco Harris didn't own the Raiders. The Raiders had epic battles with him. He lost to the Raiders multiple times. But Franco Harris has the edge in the battle over the 70s Raiders. Not many people have an advantage over the Raiders when it comes to that rivalry in the 70s, which was unbelievable. So a pretty tough day today. And for everybody else, talking about this with my wife today, about the magnitude of what just happened with the Chandler Jones touchdown against Belichick. That's Belichick. You had the Chandler Jones play. And then we're all gearing for the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. The Raiders dropped and debuted their new documentary series. And if you're involved in any way with all of this, and you are, I trust you all, your Raider fans, waking up to this news today? I mean, what's going on with the stars and alignment and all that? For Franco Harris to pass away two days before he's being honored at a football game, as one of the greatest players of all time on the anniversary of what is the most famous game of all time. It's just crazy to see this. And, you know, you hug the people close in your life and you keep in touch with them. That's why Phil was getting on a plane this morning to go from the West Coast to Pittsburgh to be with Franco. Not because he was a fierce uh, opponent. It's because they were great friends. So, again, I wasn't prepared to host this show this way over that. I'm not a Steeler fan. You're not a Steeler fan. But I think we're all combined. We all have a lot of respect for him. I was just with George Atkinson yesterday. That podcast dropped, Raiders Roundtable, where George talked about Franco and the game and the impact it had on George. And George is about as hardcore as any Raider who ever lived. Jack Tatum, who passed away, the key to the immaculate reception, as George framed it, the immaculate deception. Uh, I'm sitting in a studio yesterday with George looking at this documentary, and you wake up today and Franco's dead. Just really unique and bizarre. Cannot believe it. Uh, We'll get into the game and what this means to the game. I think this is going to be memorable. Everybody remembers when Mr. Davis died, Al Davis died, and the Raiders had to go play a game. And it was an amazing game. The Raiders call it the Divine Interception. October 9th, 2011, Reliance Stadium in Houston. Raiders 25, the Texans 20. That's got a name game. Okay, the divine interception. I found that out yesterday. You remember how the Raiders played for Al Davis? You remember the tears for Al Davis in the, in the locker room after that game? That's what the Steelers are playing for. Mike Tomlin is a badass coach, everybody. He's a motivator. He's going to have that team running through walls. They already have a Franco Harris patch on their shoulders while he was alive. They have the commemorative patch for the immaculate reception coming up Saturday. If you want to touch on that, I guess it's important we do this. How does that affect the Raiders' prep for the game? It doesn't affect it at all. They're a professional football team. They're prepped to play. They'll be ready to go. What type of momentum does that bring to the game? The type of insanity that it's going to bring in there on Christmas Eve. This is one of the few fan bases that will show up for a Christmas Eve game. A lot of people on Christmas Eve will go, hey, you know, I'll stay in. Who wants my tickets? We're 6-8 and eight on the year. It's going to be a madhouse at Three Rivers, the former site of Three Rivers, and Heinz Field. 
that place is going to be crazy, and every one of those Steeler fans are going to want to win for Franco. The Raiders are going into the belly of the beast and then drop all this backstory behind it. Man, that's going to be interesting to see what happens. Must watch television on Christmas Eve, the late game, the national game. Raiders at Steelers. Chris in West Oakland likes to start it off, especially when he's got something big to say. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, JT, just like yesterday talking about the Immaculate Reception, I wasn't going to call, and it's rare I call three days in a row. And, you you know, I I remember that day well, JT. Um, You came over to our tailgate, and I think it was 10 years ago, if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. that Phil Villapiano took him to the black hole. It was the 40th anniversary of the of the uh, the Immaculate Reception in December of 2012, and I remember you coming over, eating a couple of ribs, having a few shots, saying, "Hey, get over to the black hole." Phil's bringing Franco Harris. I walked over there a little bit later, met Franco Harris, met Phil. What a sweet, great guy! And you know, it, it was really weird waking up to this this morning. I, I woke up and there was a bunch of text messages on my phone, and it just, you know, I, I start watching some of the highlights, and it just. Makes you realize, JT, as you get older, how lucky we were as sports fans to see a rivalry like this. And as the years turns to decades, the hatred, in a sports sense, becomes just such great mutual respect. I knew about Phil Villapiano and Franco Harris's friendship. No way that would have developed in the 70s for what it is now. But again, it's just a sad, sad day that the guy didn't get to see his jersey retired. Was an all-time great. And another thing about Franco Harris... I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say a bad word about him. I've heard nothing that he was just a sweet, great human being. Uh, Christopher Mad Dog Russo had him on yesterday for almost a half hour. You just, you know, I don't know if it's irony or what, what you call it with all this immaculate reception stuff, two days shy of the 50th anniversary. But, but again, it's just, it's a sad day for the Steelers. It's a sad day for the NFL. And for guys like me and, you know, Mort that grew up with the great Raiders Steeler rivalry of the 70s, it's just a reminder that, we're all getting older in life, but we were lucky and privileged to watch this rivalry. They don't have rivalries like this anymore, JT. Christopher Mad Dog Russo said this morning, look, half of these guys would be arrested today if what these players did in a game today did today that they did yesterday. So, as always, rest in peace. Prayers to the Franco Harris family. Everybody out there listening, this man deserves a toast and nothing but respect. Rest in peace, Franco Harris. Um, you know, I would have loved to have seen you get your jersey retired with Phil Villapiano standing by your side. And it's funny, JT, I ended my phone call yesterday talking about every time I go into Pittsburgh and there's that statue mm-hmm. of him picking the ball up off the turf that I feel like kicking it over. Well, that feeling's long gone. Nothing but mutual respect to number 32 and the black and gold. Thanks for letting me get this off my chest. Yeah. Rest in peace, Franco. You were truly one of the greats. Later, yeah, brother. Franco's Italian Army. Thank you, Chris. And... Harris ran for 12,120 yards at the time. That's a, that was a big number. It still is. He won four Super Bowl rings with the Steelers in the 70s, a dynasty that began when he kept running after Terry Bradshaw's play and what happened with Frenchie Fuqua and the Jack Tatum hit. He was a rookie in that game, a rookie playing in that game. And then Franco went on to have a Hall of Fame career. Four-time Super Bowl champion. That four for a running back will live forever. Incredible. And a lot of people said he was a humble guy. I've met him a few times. I posted a couple of pictures at JT the Brick on the sideline with him. And he's just totally engaged, looking me in the eyes, talking. I didn't know him. I met him. That was the second time I ever met him. And hopefully we're going to interview him tomorrow. And uh, that's an interview that I'm, I'm going to regret 
that I didn't have, but it's not about the radio. It's about his family. And I can't believe what his family must be going through. Can you imagine 72 years old and your dad's going to have his jersey retired in a couple of nights and he passes away in his sleep? And he's just a fantastic human being. I'm sure Terry Bradshaw, Howie Long, all the people who knew him through the Hall of Fame and the gold jacket, they're having a really difficult time today. It's going to happen more and more as these legends get older and older. They're getting older and older, and we're going to lose names like this from time to time. And we're going to talk about it on the radio. We're not going to run away from the topic. We're going to embrace it because Franco was humble. And he had a lot of respect for the Raiders, a lot of the interviews that he had. We have a portion of the interview that we're going to get to a little bit later on this hour of Christopher Mad Dog Russo. That's the channel I work on at nights, Mad Dog Sports Radio. He had the last interview with Franco. It was yesterday, and we clipped about four or five minutes of that. So we'll play that in a few moments, so stick around for that. Uh, Let's keep it going here. If you want to get through, Snow Raider is out in Tahoe as we continue today on a Wednesday. Go ahead. Hey, thanks, JT. Happy holidays. Yeah, super sad when I heard the news. One of my best friends, diehard Steeler fan, he lives out in Italy. He actually texted me the news before he even woke up. But as a kid, I would hang my Sports Illustrated uh, cover magazines uh, on my wall. I had like a, a wall I could just stick pin this on there. And I still remember the January 12, 76, where it's got Franco Harris running over to Oakland Raiders there. Not the best cover of all, but it still went on my wall with all of them. So rest in peace, Franco. You can't have a, a legend NFL like without a Franco Harris. Um, I'm just going to keep it at that. Raiders, they've had some good Good luck against the Steelers the last several years. I'm looking for a win on Christmas Eve. Happy holidays, the Raider Nation, and the Steeler fans, too. They're going to be there, like you said, representing for Franco. Cold, rain, snow, doesn't matter. They're ravenous, too. God bless. Yeah, appreciate that. They're rabid fans. That's another connection. Good point you made at the end. Raider fans are passionate, just like Steeler fans and Packer fans and Cowboy fans. You know, you got a bunch of teams that have passionate fan bases, but the Steelers and the Raiders are next level as global franchises, just to see the mutual respect. And again, it's very uncomfortable today to start to reach out to players and say, do you want to come on radio? That's one of the toughest things that happens in my career, but I have to do it because these gentlemen are all over television and radio today. Jerome Bettis was on with Stephen A. And you'll go around and Heinz Ward is on one show. So, you know, I just gave my respects to a couple of guys and said if they want to talk, we'd like to talk to them. Raymond Chester. He said he'd come on. He's going to join us in about five minutes. Phil Villapiano, who's traveling today as Franco's guest. He's in the air. He's landing now. He's in Chicago, and he's going to call us whenever he lands and gets to a quiet place. So stick around for that interview with Phil. It should be pretty unique. And Phil's pretty reliable in case something came up in the air or when he landed. uh, He should be pretty good to go. Vinny Bonsignor will join us coming up. We're looking forward to talking to Vinny at the top of next hour on What happens with this game here, and what do the Raiders need to do? The weather is going to be the big issue in this game. So you assume when it's frigid cold, you can't run bombs. You can't run long routes. You're going to have to run the ball. There's two really good running backs in this game. I think for the Raiders, Josh Jacobs has to give us one more. And then after that, give us another one. And then give us another one. But this is a big one for Josh Jacobs because he might have to carry the Raiders to the win. Waller is back. He's hard to tackle. He can catch balls short. What's supposed to be the best short yard player in the league, one of the top two or three, is Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro's got to have a big game here. 
And I think the most important X factor this game, I haven't mentioned him in a while, is Denzel Perryman. The linebackers for the Raiders have to do a better job tackling in the running game because the Steelers are going to want to do the same thing with Kenny Pickett. They want to run the ball. And remember, the immaculate reception, as my notes from yesterday, the score was 0-0 at the half. It was one of the greatest defensive struggles. George Atkinson told us on the podcast that it's still to this day the toughest football game that he ever played in. The Steelers kicked a field goal to go up 3 nothing with 9.52 to go in the third. The Steelers went up 6 to nothing with 3.50 left to go in the third. And then the greatest run of Ken Stabler's career out of nowhere, Stabler, 30 yards to put the Raiders up 7-6 with 1.17 left to go in a game. That could have eventually led to the Raiders winning their first Super Bowl. Then Franco Harris catches the ball off the deflection. The rest is history. The immaculate reception, as George Atkinson calls it in many Raiders, the immaculate deception. So sad that Franco passed away today. He deserves all our prayers. And if you have a Steeler fan in your life, I'm sure you do, reach out to him. Franco was one of the greats. Raymond Chester, who the ball was thrown to on the last play of the game. The Raiders got the ball back with five seconds to go. And Raymond was friends with Franco. He'll share some memories next. Last chance for the Steelers. Bradshaw trying to get away. And his pass is broken up by Tatum. Tipped off. Franco Harris has it. And he's over. Franco Harris. Grab the ball on the deflection. Five seconds to go. He grabbed it with five seconds to go and scores. Let's watch one this again. One million to one odds on this one. You talk about Christmas miracles. Here's the miracle of all miracles. Bradshaw's lucky to even get rid of the ball. He shoots it out. Jack Tatum deflects it right into the hands of Harris. And he sets off. And the big 230-pound rookie slipped away from Warren and scored. The 50th anniversary, that was Kurt Gowdy on NBC of the Immaculate Reception coming up this weekend. But Franco Harris died overnight, and Raymond Chester joins us. He played in that game, knew Franco well. And Raymond, I just saw you a couple of days ago and uh, really, really disappointed to hear the news today. And tell me how you got the news and what happened along the way in your friendship with Franco. Uh, it's pretty heartbreaking. Uh, you know, I mean... Uh... You know, pe- most people will think of the Steelers and Raiders as the ultimate combatant. But uh, let me tell you, man, there were some real close friendships, you know, b- among Raider and Steeler players. I mean, Joe Green, um, uh, Franco, Frenchy Fuqua, those guys are like, like, like brothers. And, yeah, right. uh, you know, we don't see each other that often. Uh, I saw Franco at, uh, at the celebration for Cliff, you know, the... Mm-hmm. Hall of Fame celebration for Cliff and Franco actually came to our party and we talked, chatted for a bit there and whatever. But uh, so many memories. Uh, 
I mean, uh, it's hard to even think of even the immaculate reception, as you know, as devastating as that was for us. And um, on this special day, I mean, in honor of Franco, I will, I will call it the immaculate reception instead of the immaculate deception. But uh, it just goes to show us, you know, that uh, you know life's short, man, and, and we have to make the most of it. And uh, I'm just happy to have known him. Franco is a great guy. I know him really, really well. Um, not just a football player, but a you know family man, a great humanitarian, great businessman. He and Lionel Mitchell was my best friend uh, when I played for the Colts a bit. And he and Franco, uh, you know, historically have been friends for since uh, since Penn State. Uh, it's a shock. I'll put it right here. It's a shock because uh, if you had seen Franco, like we, you know, we saw them at, at Cliff, the celebration for Cliff Brand, um, we uh, you would have never suspected that anything was was even remotely wrong with him. And then, Talking to some of his family, you know, his family and friends, talking to Lionel, um, realized that he had uh, AFib, and that mm. that is likely what has, uh, was responsible for his death. Raymond Chester's our guest. So, Raymond, you said what a great guy he was. That's all we're seeing on the news today. Humble, a humanitarian, someone who helped a lot of people, and not a bitter guy, and a guy who was very humble in his Hall of Fame career. And before that, he was a rookie during that game. And then you build the friendship with him, and he dies only at the age of 72. You mentioned Cliff's party. He was at Snake's party. And all of you guys were so connected in such a fierce rivalry. It was just so beautiful for me to watch you guys converse with each other as you were combatants on the field and had these beautiful friendships off the field. You know, that rivalry, you know, those battles, all of those battles, man, the broken bones, and I got to have got a few of them, as, you know, as a result of playing in Steeler games. And, you know, all that just seemed to bond us together, you know, I mean, as, uh, and build a, a level of respect for the way we played the game um, that, you know, we carried with us, you know, we carried with us every day. I mean, that, that respect you mentioned you know, L.C. Greenwood or, or Frenchie Fuqua or or Joe Green or, you know, or, you know any of those guys, uh, Lambert, whatever, you know, and, and, and it sends chills, you know, into our into our being. But it's, it's certainly, you know, and, and it's just respect, you know, and that mutual admiration. I mean, I think we, we help establish how the game should be played. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly Franco was there, man. It was, you know, it was ask no quota, give no quota, but play fair, play hard and fair. Um, I, I'm, I'm devastated. I talked to, like I said, I talked to Lydell this morning. Uh, a lot, I don't know. A lot of people don't know, but, but Franco was a tremendous businessman, mm-hmm. and he built a tremendous business. I mean, they, they, he and Lydell uh, teamed up and built a food service mm-hmm. business. Uh, we, we, I used to teach Frank all the time because his school is major with food service. And, <laughs> and, and we used to laugh about it. And, boy, he took a small company, started a small company, and with the help of Lionel Mitchell and, and I'm sure many others, uh, built a multi-million dollar food distribution company where in which they, you know, they, they service uh, 
they, they provided military meals, uh, uh, during, during combat time, uh, and they, they provided school meals and lunches, you know, wholesome, uh, and healthy meals. They, they, they founded a company called, uh, Super Donut. And I used to laugh like that guy laughing him and, him and, uh, and Mitch when they, when they would talk about the company, you know, and they would occasionally they'd come out to the West Coast and, and try to, pitch, you know, the school systems out here mm-hmm. and whatever. And and so, you know, I mean, I really had a a long time on field and off field relationship with uh yeah. Franco and you know and, and Lydell and uh, man, all you hear about Franco is just how benevolent he was, how terrible he was, how gracious he was. And every time I've ever seen Franco in public, he was as humble yeah. and as gracious as people that knew him say, say, say he was. Raymond Chester joins us. Raymond, you were a big part of the documentary that the Raiders released. What a job on the Immaculate Reception, and you were on the phone with Frenchie Fuqua, and you're there with your teammates in the theater talking to the physicists. But after the delay, there was no instant replay at that game, and it seemed forever. And then the dugout phone and the phone call made to no one. No one still knows who was at the other end. You had, you had to come back on the field, Raymond, with five seconds to go, am I fair to say that that route was thrown to you by Snake, the last pass of the game that was incomplete before the game was officially over? I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, threw a pass toward me. But uh, I, I remember Snake scrambling like I don't know what, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trying to keep, you know, extend the play and whatever. Um, yeah, it, it was, uh, you know what, I'll tell you, tell you the truth, uh uh, JT, after that, the, the you know the incident, the past, and whatever, everything else is a blur. Mm-hmm. I mean, seemingly everything else about that game is a blur. I remember um, when our defense was on the field. I remember going to the bench and sitting down and, and beginning to take my tape off because it was literally seconds left in the game. And you know, I was you know, so you know, you pull the tape off your wrist and off your you know, whatever else you got taped up and whatever. And, you know, we're sitting there thinking, you know, okay, we're on to the next, the next challenge, you know, the playoff. So, um, and, and to be absolutely honest with you, almost everything else about that game just is a blur. Right. Because there's so much energy and so much thought and rethought and recalculation and debate and whatever, you know, over the years has gone into that doggone that you know that play and that's uh that scenario that yep. uh it's almost like what nothing else it's not even important what else what other yeah. things that happened in that game. <laughs> nfl legend yeah. raymond chester joins us as we wrap it up you know raymond finally i don't like to make these texts and 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 reach out to you but you were you're one of the few guys that can really tell these stories and you came on with me after the death of joe morgan one of the greatest baseball players of all time your friend clem daniels the sudden passing of Cliff Branch, who died out of nowhere, as everyone knew Cliff was okay and healthy. And, you know, we talked about Snake because we were both at Snake's event. So I know you got a real heavy heart, Raymond. These are people, and one thing I love about you, you have a lot of friendships with a lot of people, not only in the Raider organization, but around the league and in other sports and, you know, civil rights activists and really important people in your life. And I know, I know it's been a tough time for you. And I just wanted to thank you for doing this today because it's a hard day for you. I can tell Franco meant a lot to you. 
You know what, JT? You know the old saying that says that iron shop sharpens iron. Mm -hmm. And I've been extremely fortunate to have been teammates and played with, you know, the Raiders and all the great human beings. Just great human beings. Uh, and, you know, and, and it's funny because I think, uh, I think iron is magnetic, can be magnetized too. Mm -hmm. and, and so people of that kind of character are people that I've always sought out and, and, and tried to learn something from or emulate something that they, you know, about their character that was really positive. So I appreciate you for making the comment. And it's been an honor and a pleasure, you know, to have known some of the guys like you just mentioned, man. And, and I'll tell you what, we had a ton of them on our Raider squad. And, we, and, and you know what? I just hope that the players today, the squad today with the Raiders, understand and takes full advantage of the opportunity that they have to, to walk the same halls and, and walk, you know, walk the same path with the guys, some of the guys they're playing with today. Because there's some great ones there. Currently yeah. also. Thank you, Raymond. Appreciate it. Have a good weekend and a big game coming up on Saturday. Enjoy the game. I know you have a heavy heart, and we'll talk to you and see you again real soon. All right, JT, all the best. See you. You got it. Raymond Chester, real heavy heart for him. Raymond was in that game. Uh, Raymond's one of the greatest players of all time, not in the Hall of Fame. Raymond had a brilliant career. I mean, incredible player, just massive. You, you think Darren Waller's big at tight end, which he is? Imagine Raymond Chester against the size of the players back in the day. They're only bigger and stronger now. And Raymond Chester, go find him on YouTube. And he's a big part of the Raider history and always gets back to me when we need him. And he told you about Franco Harris as a businessman and the impact that he had. But the most important part of that conversation was the ending when he talked about the players on this Raider team. And I think they all get it. You know, Derek Carr totally gets it. Josh Jacobs is the players you're walking with now, the legends that surround you. And that would be Mahomes, right, on Kansas City. That's a rivalry. It's the biggest guy in the rivalry. You know, you build friendships with these guys off the field. You walk the same path as them. And then, you know, 50 years later, if you're fortunate to be around and have relationships with your opponents the way the Raiders do, because the Raiders were looked up to by all their opponents, the big bad Raiders of the 70s and 80s and the 90s, and the opponents really respected them for the amount of winning that they did and the quality of the players they had in the organization. So that's a, that's a tough conversation with Raymond, but we appreciate him coming on. We're waiting on Phil Villapiano, who's traveling back for Franco and his family. He's going to check in at some point. Uh, we'll talk to the great Vinny Bonsignor coming up at the top of the hour, and we got time to take your phone calls at 702-365-9200. I'll interview the head coach tomorrow. I'm sure we're going to mention the passing of Franco in our conversation. And if you, don't want, if you didn't know Franco or don't know the history of him, you want to talk about this game coming up with the Steelers as the Raiders have to win or they're eliminated, what do you think has to happen on the road in the cold weather? What are you looking for? For this team to do in a big spot. We're brought to you by PT's. Best happy hour in town. 5 to 7. Midnight to 2. You know, there's a handful of, uh, I would say, iconic plays and, you know, that, that they all have uh, a nickname and, um, you know, they're going to be unforgettable forever. And, uh, you know, and so that certainly was one when I, you know, I was growing up, obviously a fan of football and, 
Um, you know, I lived in Ohio, so I wasn't too far away from Pittsburgh. So, um, you know, there's a, obviously a, a classic play in Steelers history. Uh, certainly had, plays a role in, in our history for sure. Um, so, I mean, it was you know, I, I'm the celebration, you know, this week of, of those moments. Obviously, the game of football has a lot of them. And, um, you know, it'll be fun to be there, obviously, to, um, to, to celebrate the anniversary, even though it didn't go in our favor at that time. That's Josh McDaniels, JT, back with you. I'll talk to the head coach tomorrow. You know, Coach McDaniels from Canton, Ohio. Obviously, being in Ohio and knowing Pittsburgh. And one of the other things with Coach McDaniels we'll talk about, he's coached a lot of big games in that stadium. Remember, as the offensive coordinator for Brady and the Patriots, he was there. I don't know the exact dates. We'll have someone look it up. I'll look it up. Coach McDaniels is the offensive coordinator. Do you remember those Brady Roethlisberger classics? I, I don't know if they were AFC divisional games, championships, whatever they were. Coach McDaniels was on the sideline, bundled up in those big jackets in cold weather, going up against the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger with Tom Brady. He's coached some big games in that venue, no doubt about that. And he's bringing in the Raiders in a do-or-die game. Uh, the line movement here, this line opened up Pittsburgh minus one. Now it's Pittsburgh minus two and a half. So almost a field goal favorite. You get three for playing at home. So it's pretty much a pick em game as we speak here. 72% of the tickets are on the Raiders. Excuse me, that's 87% of the tickets are on the Raiders here. So if you look at the number here, a lot of people think the Raiders have a good chance to win this game. The total opened at 40. Now it's down anywhere from 38 to 38 and a half. So a lot of people are assuming a, you know, slu- a, a, a slugfest. A lot of people expect this to be a running game and how the Raiders are going to be able to step up in this running game and get it going. All year long, I've been telling you on this show, I've been trying to say it with respect, that it's Derek Carr versus the other quarterback. That's the nicest and most respectful way I can say it. I'm well aware that Derek Carr doesn't play defense, and you are. But I also know that Derek Carr cannot get beat by quarterbacks such as Andy Dalton and others. He's got to beat them. And this is Kenny Pickett. And that's, that's the same thing I'm going to say about Derek next week going up against Brock Purdy. The Niners could win the game. The Niners have a much better defense than the Raiders. Not even close. But Derek Carr's got to figure it out. And Derek Carr's got to play at a high level. And Derek Carr has to play great. Now, how do you get Derek to play great in a freezing cold game where the wind chill could be way under? I'm talking way under zero. Could be minus four, minus eight, whatever happens in this game. What I need Derek to do and what we think, Ken Stabler did it in the Immaculate Reception. Ken Stabler, out of the blue, ran for 30 yards for a touchdown. Kenny Pickett has played 10 games this year. He's thrown for 1,797 yards. Ready for this? Four touchdowns, eight interceptions, and he's been sacked 24 times. Mitch Trubisky has played in seven games. Okay, so they, some games they played where they both played. In those games, Mitch Trubisky has four touchdowns and five interceptions. So both quarterbacks playing the Raiders coming up Saturday night have more interceptions than they do touchdowns. Give me a break. Go beat these guys. Now, Najee Harris is a hell of a player. He's got 790 yards. He's got six touchdowns. He's really the strength of their team. And they don't have a wide receiver. They got two, Pickens and Johnson, are both playing well, 
But Deontay Johnson has 77 receptions for 745 yards. No touchdowns. He's averaging 9.7 a reception. How does a guy have 77 receptions for almost 800 yards, 745, and he doesn't have a touchdown on the year? So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that Pittsburgh doesn't have a passing game. They don't have a passing game at all, but they got some possession receivers, and these possession receivers can go back and make a play or two. So I think what's going to happen is they're going to try to run it. The Raiders are going to try to run it. And Pickett's pretty good on the bootleg and getting outside the pocket. That's why he was drafted by Pittsburgh. He's younger than Carr. He has the ability, I think, to run out of trouble better than Carr if he has to. But this is going to be a Najee Harris versus Josh Jacobs game. And Josh Jacobs is having a much better year. He's having an MVP-type running back year. So I think the Raiders have the advantage in this game. Now, Pittsburgh's defense, when you look at their edge rushers, and they always seem to have ball hawks, if Derek is not throwing crisp passes and hitting the guys who are wide open here, and if he's forcing into coverage, that could be a problem. That could be a problem because the Steelers historically have guys who can catch the ball on defense with the Raiders recently, not historically, have players that don't catch the ball on defense. Chandler Jones caught it to win the game. The irony of that is amazing to me. But the cornerbacks and the safeties don't catch the ball often for the Raiders. And there's going to be a couple of balls that are up in the air that the Raiders are going to have to go after. And they're going to have to go after and make a play. And this is going to be great. If the Raiders are able to win this game, they're the better team. The Pittsburgh's been the better team the last 10 to 15 years. The record proves that. But not this year. The Raiders have a better roster and a better team. But all of a sudden, you, you turn around and Pittsburgh's back to being six and eight. And the motivation, other than the death of Franco Harris and the anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, is the fact that those players want to get the coach to have a better than 500 year. You can't have a 500 year, but he's never had below that. And for Tomlin to have a, a productive year of winning, he have to win the next three. And if Pittsburgh wins the next three, or the Raiders win the next three, and they get a little bit of help from Miami losing, and just one loss... Just one loss from Jacksonville and the Jets as we look at this. They got a chance. This is going to be a highly contested game. The odds makers know this. And the Raiders have no excuse but to play great. Because here's one thing, everybody, before I come back. The atmosphere in that building is going to be bonkers. That should elevate the Raiders' level of intensity to go out and have a great performance. One hour down, another to go. Phil Villapiano and Vinny Bonsignor next hour on the flagship.